Say Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. The Lord said, It is not good for, me, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will both become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So now we're going to flip over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 22, sorry, 22 to 33. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, sorry, should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the, wa cleansing her by the washing with water through the world, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Christine and I went uh, on a holiday together after we were married, uh, apart from the honeymoon, which was a disaster, but whose honeymoon was not a disaster? It was then I discovered she didn't like fishing. I mean, I could have asked beforehand. <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, but uh, it was, uh, it has that memory for us. And then it, it, I remember the, the next year we brought the baby with us. So um, uh, it was a very different port in those days, but we've holidayed at port many times since because of the family. And uh, indeed, we're coming up again, uh, God willing, in August this year. Uh, now, uh, and I, again, I say I'm very, very grateful indeed uh, to Scott for his kind invitation to be with you and delighted uh, in the way in which uh, this church family functions and the, and the way in which uh, you love the Lord and love the Word and uh, are serving him together. That's really great. Now, our time together is going to be focused on the subject of the church. Uh, and we're going to learn, therefore, about this. Uh, we're going to learn from God's Word preeminently, uh, but we're also going to learn from each other. I hope one or two things I say may be of help to you, uh, but we also teach each other. We also learn from each other. Uh, we, we don't... Yes, you can learn by listening to uh, a talk or something like this, 
uh, electronically delivered to you, and some people are listening electronically apparently because they're not here, but they should be here. Uh, that's for you guys. Uh, but it's always best to be together, to learn together. We learn relationally, particularly as a church family. So I'm hoping that you uh, join with me now to, uh, to teach each other, and that's why I've moved a little closer, apart from the fact I can't see anyone but, uh, from my short sight, but uh, I also want to make sure that you guys um, uh, contribute to what we're doing. So please be ready to uh, interact uh, as we uh, start to study this great subject together. Thank you, Alice, for your Bible readings. Where are you? Good, thank you. Uh, and uh, we'll be focusing on them and other Bible readings as well. You may have thought it was a little strange. No, maybe you didn't. To start with two readings that have to do with marriage when we're talking about church. But maybe you could see already why that might be the case. Okay, let's pray and then we'll get further down to work. Our Father God, we thank you that you've not left us in ignorance and darkness, but have given us the light of your word. And we pray now that by the power of your spirit, you will so teach us your word that we will grow singly and together to be like our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, from time to time I'll move away from the microphone. I used to be, a, as you'll quickly perceive, I used to be a primary school teacher, uh, and therefore I have a powerful voice, and I don't think we'll have trouble from that point of view, but I need to interact with you guys. So. Uh, if indeed you are listening electronically, bad luck. I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's life. Okay, uh, so the first thing I want to say is this. I want to put you in a situation. You move. I know you wouldn't move from port, but nonetheless, just say you did move to port or you moved somewhere else, maybe to a Sydney suburb or something like this or another town. You're looking for a new church. What would you look for in your new church? What is it that you'd like to see? What would draw you to one church? You've got a plethora of churches. You walk around Port, you can see church after church after church around the, around the town. Why this one? Why go to this, not your church, but why go to a particular church? Why would you choose one rather than the other? I'm going to let you think about that for a moment, talk to the person next to you, and find out what the person next to you would regard as being a good reason for choosing this particular church or not. Okay, you've got a minute and a half to do this exercise. Go. Okay, folks. Okay, okay, okay. Please stop. I've seen some people enjoying themselves. Uh, that's not allowed. Uh, this, is a, this is a church function. Uh, okay, so stop that. Good. Now, I want you to tell me uh, what sort of answers you heard. That is to say, I don't want to tell me, you to tell me what you said. I want you to tell me what the person you were talking to said if you thought they said something really good. Okay, think about it for a moment. Did the person you were talking to say something really good? Now, if you were talking to the minister, this does not count. Your, your testimony is not of interest to us, except if you wish to give your own personal testimony. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, did someone hear something that really made sense to them. Let's have it. Yes. Sorry. Oh, I know I said a few comments of my own about this. You have a, you have a, um, a handout there, a booklet, and you'll see that there are notes there, the, an outline. The outline is meant to make you at least feel there's an end to all this, uh, because it's only got a certain number of points. 
and you can see we make progress. So far, we haven't done anything, so, uh, <laughs> but I have my own the time, don't worry. Well, we have actually, because I've, uh, I've set you up to think about the nature of what church is. And it'd be interesting to think, perhaps tomorrow at lunchtime, uh, have my answers changed at all? What, what answer did I give? What answer did the person beside me give as to what was really important that I would be looking for? I'm interested that no one here said, uh, well, I'd first of all go to the local Presbyterian church. That's the end of the question. I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian. I would go to the Presbyterian church. Uh, that is the obvious answer. The obvious answer that you would have given 40, 50 years ago. That's who I am. That's where I go. You would have given a denominational answer. Now, some of you might still, some of you may, may or may not have said that, but that's what you would do. Uh, certainly, if I moved, I'd probably try the Anglicans first. I'm an archbishop. Uh, but I wouldn't feel bound to stay there because we're in a different age now. In the old days, I would have gone there for sure. Today, not so necessarily. So pre uh, denominationalism is no longer as important, but we call it the Presbyterian Church. That's interesting. And church is in the Bible. So how important is it to think Presbyterian Church that's really part of God's work in the world because it's a church, Anglican church, that's in the Bible. So, well, not Anglican, but churches. And so why aren't we, the, I, won't, I won't even look and listen to that particular comment. Okay, now, two or three little starting points. Christine always says my introductions are too long. And you've already experienced that. Uh, we're still in the introduction, but let me note just two or three little points as introductory points before we get to the, to the main thing. Uh, what I want to say to you is this, and by all means, note it down. It does you good to note it down because you start to remember things. There is only one church. Yes, I know we talk about Presbyterian church or Anglican church, Roman Catholic church, we, we think of all these churches, there are a thousand different denominations or more around the world, and then think of all the churches in port. There must be 30 or 40 churches, but the Bible only knows one church. The Anglicans. No. <laughs> the Bible knows only one church. <laughs> Indeed. Well, it's both high and low, because the church the Bible knows is the church of all those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they've passed into his presence through death or whether they're still here on earth. We're all one church. There isn't one church down here and one church up there. We are all one church. It's a spiritual concept, not a racial, not a denominational. Uh, it's a spiritual concept. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to his church automatically. There is only one church. Uh, secondly, and this is all still part of introduction here, um, the, the, the word church, the word church contains in itself, it's a word that actually was a secular word, it was just an ordinary word in Greek language, and it meant an assembly, a congregation, a coming together, a gathering. Now, we have to be careful just using the meaning of a single word. You've got to put words into, into a bigger context. But it's interesting to see that the word itself just 
originally and fundamentally meant a gathering of people. The actual gathering, not when they're dispersed, but when they meet, the gathering. It's used like that in the Acts of the Apostles about a, a, a town council. You know, the, the, the citizens of the town all meet and they have an ecclesia, a meeting, a gathering, a church. So originally the word meant just a, just a, it doesn't necessarily mean that's all it means, but it did fundamentally mean a gathering. Hmm, church. Church is a, church, it's like a, I'm going to say something that everyone over 55 will know what I mean here. Uh, it's a verb, it's like a verb rather than a noun. It's something you do rather than something you are almost. <laughs> now it's both. But church is a gathering of people. Okay. Uh, the third thing about it is that if there's only one church of Jesus Christ, and if the church is a gathering or a meeting, then the way to best to think about it is this. The one church of Jesus Christ is gathered with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven now. You are in heaven. The Bible tells us that, doesn't it? Lift up your hearts to where Christ is, where you are seated with him. Colossians 3. We'll come back to that next time. But you are with him now. Later on, you'll physically go and join him. But you're with him now. We are all gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ. Your local church, your local church, is what's its connection? Well, it's a sort of a manifestation, an outcrop, a, a, a gathering a, a, which reflects the one big gathering, if I can put it like that. Forget the word church for a minute. It's got so much clustered around it. Just think of the word assembly or gathering. Your gathering, your assembly, is a manifestation of the one true assembly. And that's why, yes, there is only one church of Jesus Christ, and yet there are thousands, millions of churches. But each one, if it's a true church, is a manifestation of the one true church we all belong to. Okay? Uh, when Robinson Crusoe was on his own on the island, was he in church? Yes, because he belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was gathered with the Lord Jesus Christ even though he was on his own. When Man Friday came and he converted Man Friday and he became a Christian, they started to gather and, lo and behold, they had a little church because they had a manifestation of the one true church in their fellowship together. So church, gathering, and that's not all that we said about it. Be careful. What I've just said is dangerous because uh, it's only very partial. But it is a, is, a, is a thought to put in your head as you think about it. There's only one church. It's spiritual. It includes all Christians who have ever lived and uh, includes us. Uh, the church contains the idea of assembly, gathering, congregation, fellowship, if you like, and the local church is a manifestation of the one true church. Okay, those three points. Now, if this really were a primary school, which it isn't, I would now get you to repeat those points back to me, but it's okay, I won't. Okay. Now, you'll see there a list of topics that I've handed out on the, on the uh, form here. The original church, the false church, the final church, the church at first, and the church right now. Let's deal with these in turn. First of all, the original church. And that's why I got Alice to read uh, Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5. Because Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 5, if you turn there quickly, and uh, we'll come back that way. In the New Testament, I think... There are little sections in the New Testament which, which tell you particular things. 2 Peter, I think, is the little bit that's given to us to tell us the nature of the Bible. It's not the only place you'd look at, but 2 Peter does tell you a lot about the Bible. 
Ephesians tells you a lot about the church. Okay, it's not the only subject, but it does. Now, have a look there, Ephesians chapter 5, and you'll know that it's the bit about husbands and wives. And uh, Paul just doesn't just give a list of how husbands and wives are to behave. He puts it right into the context of what God has done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and in the middle of doing that, he says, um, verse 29, uh, where he says, uh, we love our, uh, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and then he quotes, of course, from Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, don't be put off by the word mystery, it means something which may have been hidden once but is now clear. Okay, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Ooh. If you read Genesis 1 you'd, or Genesis 2, you'd think, oh, this is about marriage. And he's saying, actually, yes, it is about marriage, of course, but even prior to that, it's about Christ and his church. In a sense, if you put it this way, he doesn't take marriage and says, oh, that's like Christ and the church. He takes Christ and the church and says, now, that's what marriage is like. Okay? Marriage reflects the great reality of Christ and his church. Now, if we go back to, uh, bearing that in mind, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, uh, of course it is that great story of, uh, at the beginning of all things, where Adam and Eve find and meet each other, so to speak, Eve being taken from the side of Adam. Uh, Adam begins and he is alone, and it is not good that he is alone, declares the Lord, uh, the created order, the other animals and so forth and so on don't, don't uh, correspond to him. They are not a helper meet for him. And so from his side is uh, created Eve. Uh, furthermore, uh, when they come together, when they come together, uh, the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh, utterly bound together in a, an extraordinary and, of course, very fruitful relationship. Now, that image, the image of Adam and Eve, is the image of Christ and his church, husband and wife. They're living in Eden, in the Garden of Eden. Eden here is, I think, this is just a suggestion, it's a little bit like the temple of the Lord. They're living inside a temple. I know it's a garden, but it's a garden with features that make it uh, look and feel like a temple and a temple of the Lord is like a palace it's the palace where God lives it's the palace where the king lives and so one of the features of Eden is that they have fellowship with God and furthermore a God who speaks so God has spoken to them and he has given them the perimeters he's given the boundaries he said to them you shall eat of the tree of the knowledge you shall eat of every tree in the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat so he's given them permission by his word to live uh, wonderfully in his temple but he has given them a boundary where, which they must not break so the picture you get here is of god the king in his special place his temple where he is present 
to have fellowship with his people, and they live under his rule through his word. What he tells them is what they believe, trust, and if they do, all is well. If they break his word, then catastrophe ensues. Okay? And so it's a perfect picture, an ideal picture, an ideal picture of, uh, I'll say fellowship. I, I can't think of a better word for it. Of love, fellowship, of peace, joy, joy in each other. That's the ideal picture of humans as we begin our journey together. Under God, ruling them by his word, the king. Now, next point, the false church. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. This ideal picture, where they are naked and not ashamed, is shattered. It's shattered as uh, they listen to the voice of the serpent, as Eve listens first, uh, as she is tempted, and then she gives to her husband and he ate. Now, Eve sinned first, but Adam sinned worst. Because it was to Adam originally that the word came, before Eve, right? There was no Eve when Adam heard the word. Uh, and so it was to him particularly, and he has a responsibility, which even Eve doesn't have, as the head of the race, because from one man came all, and he should not have listened to the voice of his wife. So it is Adam in particular whose catastrophic disobedience to God then led to all the consequences uh, in the world around us. That's how I put it. Eve sinned first, but they both sinned. Eve sinned first, but Adam sinned worst because of his particular responsibility uh, as the husband, as, the, uh, as the, the first man. Now, the consequences, the consequences of all this, as you know, uh, you could summarise it as saying uh, distorted and ruined relationships. Now, what the Bible is telling us here is uh, exactly what fits our human experience. The thing, after all, which you value most in life is relationships. If you brought up a child, for example, and you never touched it, you made a, just a little experiment on a baby that you would never touch the child, you know that that child would, be, would grow up a thoroughly distorted human being. Or if you did a little experiment, and I believe there have been such experiments, uh, where, I mean, hundreds of years ago, where a, a group of children are brought up but no adults and, and they're never spoken to, just to see what would happen, what, what nature would provide. Well, what nature provides there is a complete disaster because none of us, despite the fact we want to be, none of us is independent. We are created as social creatures. We are thoroughly relational beings. So the most important virtue of all is not, as the world tells us, tolerance, I tolerate you. That's not Christian, is it? The most important virtue of all is love, in which I reach out to you. Now what Genesis 3 shows us is that this disobedience, here they were, living with God the King, under his word, in his special place, in perfect harmony, they break it and they're expelled from the garden 
and they sent forth into the world out of fellowship with God and out of fellowship with each other. And you know those stern words that uh, God speaks to both Adam and Eve uh, about their relationship with each other and also their relationship with the world around them. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. You shall eat the plants of the field, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, and, 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 and the words to eat and so forth. I had a friend who's a, a, a chaplain in a palliative care ward. And I said to her once, particularly men, I said, what do men talk about as they're contemplating their own death? And she said to me, Peter, I'll tell you what they don't talk about. She said, they never talk about their career. They never talk about their being CEO of a company. They never talk about their job. They talk about their relationships, often with deep sorrow. And that's human. That's not an answer that would surprise you at all, I hope. Even the most introverted fella, who just grunts at you from time to time, uh, even he, actually depends on relationships. We all do. You know, one of the most painful things you can do, uh, if you're, uh, I, I remember see, observing this in my own kitchen from time to time, a, a, a child would do some terrible thing or other, and uh, the mother would say, okay, that's it, I don't care. Interesting, those words were always very powerful. I don't care. And suddenly there'd be a change. And the child would say, oh, I don't want my mother not to care. I prefer to be locked in my room. Separation, a distance, not caring. A person who is all over you and makes you feel wonderful and then suddenly cuts you off, that's hell. S separation from others is hell. That's the most exquisite torture that you can possibly invent, to cut you off from others. And we see the beginnings of it here, where we're out of fellowship with each other, out of fellowship with God, we're expelled from the Garden of Eden, and out of fellowship with the world. This beautiful world we inhabit is also a dangerous and, uh, and difficult world for us to live in, as we know. Well, fellowship still goes on, and if you read through uh, the rest of the Bible, but if you come to Genesis 11, where you get to the Tower of Babel, you see a sort of still human beings after the flood and all that sort of thing. And what are they doing? They're trying to build. It's as if they're trying to get back to where they were uh, because the, their hearts tell them they need God. By, by nature, we are worshipping creatures. Our hearts tell us we need God. They are going back to where they were, and they say, verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, where God is, in other words, its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. It's a sort of false church. It's top in the heavens. It's not just a, it's a sort of spiritual skyscraper. It's top in the heavens, and let us get together, lest we be dispersed. We want, to, we want to be collective here. It's a natural way for human beings to wish. But it's against God. It's their building. It's their determination. They're inventing it. And so the Lord, and it says here, the Lord comes down, which is a sort of ironic way of saying how puny they are. 
uh, and he comes down and says, oh, okay, if this is what they're doing, let's go and confuse their language so that may not understand, verse 7, one another speech. So the Lord dispersed them over the earth and they left off building the city. It's a very powerful way of talking about the alienation of human beings from each other. We don't even speak the same language. The alienation, the dispersal of human beings, the separation of human beings, the experience of what ultimately will be hell. They tried to build their own church, do you see? And it wasn't the Lord's church. And he visited them and uh, with awful consequences. So when the Lord tells us that church is a gathering, an assembly, a fellowship, church is actually intended, or when he speaks about it as uh, the two shall become one flesh, when he's talking about church as relationship, church as love, he's talking about something which as human beings we, deep, we deeply need. Not all of us can be members of families. Uh, some of us are single, some by choice, some by that's how it's happened. Some of us are widowed, some of us have never been married, for example. Uh, some of us live perhaps alone lives or lonely lives. And uh, the Lord does not say that everyone should be married. It's always a wonderful thing to remember, isn't it? The Lord Jesus himself was not married. That singleness is a perfectly appropriate uh, way of life. We're not all in favour of everyone being married all the time. That would be foolish and untrue anyhow. But what we are in favour of is that every person, married or unmarried, is... Part of that fellowship which is married to the Lord. At the deeper level, a more profound mystery, what the Lord has provided is for us to be in fellowship with each other and with him. That's what he's provided for us and that meets the deepest needs of the human heart all around the world. So... I think when I first heard about heaven, I don't know about you, but when I first heard about heaven, I actually didn't want to go there. Um, it just didn't seem terribly interesting. Uh, and the way in which it was portrayed to me was sort of you go to heaven when you die. And I thought of, I thought of it as a soul floating around endlessly in heaven, uh, having to go to church all the time, which was fairly boring. Um, if you could, the Anglicans in those days used to chant the Psalms. And if you want a definition of hell, I would say I'd be chanting the Psalms myself. The Presbyterians in those days had a much better system of, uh, anyway, we won't go there, I'm wasting time. But uh, I went to a Presbyterian school, you realise that. Uh, I went to Scots College and wore a kilt. <laughs> that, yes, no, we were, <laughs> I'll say no more. So what is heaven? What is the portrayal of heaven? What is it that, what is it that we have been made for? Now, Again, look, have a, as we're getting there, have a look at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Now, what the, uh, heaven is beyond our understanding. So what the Lord does is he gives us pictures of heaven 
He takes things you know already and, and says, look, it's going to be like that, only 50 times better. Uh, so Revelation chapter 7 gives us a picture of what I'm calling here the final church, where we're headed. We see the, the false church. We see the original church. We see the false church. Now have a look at the, the final church, where, in a sense, Eden is restored. Um, and um, uh, Alice, you're such a good reader. Do you want to do a bit more reading for us? Is that all right? Uh, ha read uh, uh, 7, verses uh, 9 to... Um, uh, okay, 9 to uh, 14. Isn't that great? That's church. That's church as it now is, by the way, because there is only one church, and uh, mm. they're already there. The, the brothers and sisters we've lost, they're there already, and spiritually we're there with them. That's the best way. It's not something future that we're all waiting for. It's something present which we're all part of, and you'll join, you'll join in due course. Uh, you'll join not just spiritually, you'll join in every way, consciously, in due course. Now, when I used to read that, I, I thought it had its limitations. I don't know if you feel it the same as I do. Um, uh, it, if it was intended to make me feel wonderful that they are holding palm leaves in their hands, is that it? It never grabbed me as a thing to do. Um, it's not something I want to do particularly. Is it that what it says, something like that? Uh, yeah. So there are elements of this you say, oh, is that what it's going to be? Uh, well, look, it's like being... It's like being with 102,000 other people in a great stadium and seeing Kathy Freeman win gold and jumping to your feet and roaring with excitement. It's an incredible moment to be there. But what he's describing here is not just a moment, he's describing a state. He's describing an activity. They shall all uh, serve him day and night in his temple. We, we're not going to be sort of endlessly going to church. This is a this is a, church is great. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think an endless succession of hymns, such as you get in some churches. Uh, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to set up a church called No Song and see if I'm, <laughs> if anyone comes. Cut that off the record. Uh, <laughs> it's it's we will serve him. You think we may have jobs to do? Yes, of course. We're going to be serving him. We are going to be with Christ, we are going to be like Christ, and we're going to be for Christ forever. That's what it is. If you say, oh, I'm still not sure what it's going to be like, look, it's going to be with your favourite person, Jesus. I don't know what else you would like, and he will wipe away every tear from your eye, and you will serve him, and it'll be, it'll be that moment. And why will you be there? What gives you the right to be there? Well, have a look. Uh, verse 14, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood. It's the exact opposite of the Tower of Babel, where men tried to build a tower up to heaven. It's the exact opposite. No, you don't get there because you've built a tower to get there. You get there because you have humbly and rightly asked that the blood of the Lamb be applied to you so that you may be forgiven. That's what this church is. And... Okay, that's the big church. Now, our churches are reflections and manifestations of the picture we have here and elsewhere. It's not the only picture. There are other pictures as well uh, of the church we have, and we'll talk more about those in due course. Okay, so God's, uh, so th there you have sort of God's final church, if you like. Um, sometimes it's described as a great city. 
Uh, sometimes as a great assembly, sometimes as uh, uh, the church of the firstborn, he calls it. Uh, that's you and me as the, as the firstborn of God. Uh, but salvation in Christian terms is never just individual. Well, it has to be individual, but it's not just individual. The minute you're saved, you're part. If, 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 that's not, if, you, if you don't think fellowship, relationship, love is your shtick, then don't be a Christian because that's what salvation is. It brings you into fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with each other. And with each other. Okay. Uh, now, the final church is therefore described. How did it all begin? I'll be very brief here, but how did it all begin? Well, it began with a family. It began with the family of Abraham. It began, it went on to, uh, or before that, of course, with Noah and so forth, but there was the family of Abraham, um, Genesis 12. And then it, uh, Abraham's family became a nation, and we hear about the church gathered at Mount Sinai to hear the word of God. That picture of Eden is sort of restored, isn't it? You have gathered at Mount Sinai, ready to go to the promised land. They hear the word of God and they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and be obedient. So they're sort of saying again what Adam said in the garden. Uh, they're God the king, the word of God through Moses, and the people of God gathered, ready to go to the place which God intended for them, which is the promised land, if you like another sort of big temple where God dwells. That was the, that was the idea, and you know how often they failed, and failed and failed, uh, because they too were sinners. So first of all, a family, then a nation, and then all nations, as we see from uh, Revelation, people from every tribe, etc., etc., etc. Okay. One of our tragedies in Sydney, uh, amongst our Anglican churches in Sydney, one of our tragedies is that uh, so often, um, if you go to a church service, there are so few people there that represent all the nations. In Sydney, there are 202, at least 202 different nationalities and 230 different languages, something like that. Is that reflected in our churches? It's reflected in heaven. Is it reflected in our churches? And I don't think we in Sydney have really stood up yet. I don't want to overstate that because there's much good work has gone on, in fact. But I don't think we've really embraced the challenge, particularly we Anglos did not embrace the challenge after the Second World War when the Greeks and the Italians and the other Mediterranean people started to come into Sydney. I don't think we embraced the challenge. And I think uh, we have got to embrace it now so that our churches truly reflect uh, the one great church, the heavenly church, uh, where people from every nation on earth take their place. So, uh, finally then, the church right now. Well, how do we use the word church? Remember the three things I said at the beginning. There's only one church. It's a spiritual church. It includes the living and the dead. It is, it is, it is assembled around the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, uh, the idea of church is the idea of congregation, gathering, assembly. And the local church is a manifestation of what God has done in his one true church. Your church is a sort of a, a foretaste of heaven. It's a manifestation of the one true church of Jesus Christ. Now, what do you look for in a church? 
we'll come back to that after morning tea. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it so ministers deep to our hearts. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a matter of us building our way to heaven, but of him coming and living amongst us and dying for us on the cross. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that the way to belong to the church is through the death of Jesus and that that death has been provided to take away our sin. And we thank you, our gracious God, that you have not left us until the end, but have given us now the experience of belonging to the Lord Jesus and so to each other. We pray, Heavenly Father, that understanding this, uh, we will act towards each other as you wish us to, and that our church may be marked with the preaching of your word and faith and hope and love. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.